Hey, good morning. Hey, before I get started, I want to introduce to you my, my newest son-in-law, Josue Santos. Woo! Yeah. I'm, I'm actually learning Portuguese, and um, well, I'm using an app, okay? And so I, I, I texted him on his honeymoon, probably uh, inappropriately so, and it was in Portuguese. I have no idea what I told him, but uh, anyway, he's at church today, so that's a good thing. Love you, man. Welcome to the family. Uh, good morning. In June of 2008, there's a woman, a 49-year-old woman, who uh, walked into the emergency room at uh, Kings County Hospital in Brooklyn. Her name was Esmond Green, and she was feeling really bad. And so she goes into the emergency room and checks in, fills out some paperwork, and she sits down. And the longer she sat, the worse she felt. But nobody called her name. Nobody came to check on her. And literally, she sat there for 24 hours without anyone coming to check. And this is all... I, I think you could actually see this on... YouTube. Her name is Esmond Green, and um, she um, sat there for 24 hours, got worse and worse. Finally, she fell onto the floor, and she lay on the floor for another hour before anybody came over to check on her. The emergency room was full of people, nurses, triage, uh, two security guards. Finally, a nurse came over, saw her laying on the floor, reached down, and checked her pulse, and she had died. And um, you can you can YouTube or Google all of this and find out about all the lawsuits and everything that that took place uh, at that moment. But there was something really interesting that came out of that situation. Uh, something that sociologists actually termed they called it the bystander effect. And and the bystander effect is when everybody sees the problem but thinks it's someone else's problem. When everybody sees the problem, but thinks it's someone else's problem. When I think about the American church today, I think we suffer from the bystander effect. We've been doing what we do for so long, and we know there's a problem. We probably have hidden from the depth of the problem, but as our church, we haven't done that. We've, we've been very quick to let you know that the numbers are horrible. The impact that we are not having in culture is uh, at, at its worst point in the history of our nation, uh, at least in my opinion. Um, we, we, we know there's a problem, yet we keep doing the same things over and over and over and thinking that really that problem may be somebody else's problem. And so it was something that was stirred in my heart and the heart of our leadership team uh, probably three years ago that we began to think through a little bit about the problem. We looked at the numbers and they're staggering and actually I disbelieved the numbers. So I, I went on a quest to find out if, if what I heard was right and as it turned out they're worse than what I thought. And, uh, and I've shared those numbers with you multiple times. I'm not going to get into to that today, but the reality is the church is ineffective in our culture and yet we keep doing the same thing over and over and we have this bystander effect where We know we have a problem, but it must be somebody else's problem. So I want to talk about how we got there. I want to talk about where this came from and then talk a little bit about what needs to change, what needs to happen for us to to move forward. The early church, the New Testament church, was amazing. Um, It didn't start the way that you might think it would have started. It, it, um, It started just as a group of people being filled with God's Spirit and watching the sacrifice that Jesus made on Calvary, and it just changed their lives. 
The church was actually created. Uh, in Matthew 16, you can read where it was announced by Jesus. Uh, you know, here is the church. It was the first time we ever saw that in Scripture. And then in Acts chapter 2, you see this humongous outpouring of God's Spirit. And the church was born, and thousands of people uh, became Christ followers. They decided they're going to lay their lives down for the cause of Christ. And so the church began this rapid growth and it, and it became so powerful and so strong that for a couple hundred years it just grew organically and there wasn't any, any organization, there wasn't any, you know, a lot of systems. It was just happening. The Spirit of God was just filling people and, and it ended up, uh, you know, they call it the dispersion when the church was persecuted and they just scattered throughout the earth, which was their means of evangelism. It was, you know, the one thing you don't want to do is give fired up believers, uh, send them out. When I worked for the Redskins, we, we called that uh, getting traded because we'd get people, we'd get guys on the team and they'd give their lives to Christ and get all fired up for Jesus. And the next thing you know, they got traded to Philadelphia. And if there's a team that needs Jesus, and we didn't even think about Dallas at the time. I mean, that's so far gone. But anyway, so at 313 AD, something seemingly wonderful and yet horrific happened to the church. Emperor Constantine was so impacted by what the Christians did in Rome in, in, in their acts of love and sacrifice, that he was, he was just enamored with Christianity. And so he announced it as being the religion of Rome, the official religion of Rome. I am sure if I had been there, I would have thought this, well, this is the best day in civilization. No more uh, gladiators killing us, no more lions being unleashed on us, no more crucifixions and using us as, as lamp poles, setting us on fire. That's all over, and now things are going, going to go really great. So Constantine comes up with this church plan, and I'm going to show you this, and I think you'll see some similarities in what happened in the church. We had um, the Constantine period. What happened was he, he decided, well, we need a leader, right? We need a, a person in charge. And so that was the beginning uh, of the Roman church. And that leader became a pope, a papal uh, person. And, and so you have the person in charge who was really not in charge. He was connected very tightly to Constantine because Constantine was the emperor and he needed to be in charge of this. So they set up a means of worship. Instead of their temples being built for all the other gods, they created their own temple for God, for, for, for Christians. And so the way they designed their church, which now was a building and a person, was something like this that maybe many of you I know I did, grew up in something that looked like that. That became the church. The, um, this was called, and, and still is many places, the pulpit. You ever hear that word? Well, that was not just a, a word, that was a, a throne. That was a point of power. And so there's only one person who was allowed to go to the pulpit or to the this place of, of papal authority. And, and everybody else were recipients of the message. So <clears throat> there's, a, there's been a study done on this, on, on the, uh, what this did to actual Christianity, what the effect that it had, and, and it's called the passivity effect. And so when this became the model, and, and I kind of, that's my early life, this was modeled. This was the way things were. And so um, the, the passivity factor was, at that time, 95%. In other words, only 5% of the people who ever were part of that church actually engaged in any kind of ministry. Everybody else was simply a recipient of information, a recipient of whatever came down from on high. Well, this 
over time changed a little, at least in the evangelical world where I came from. It no longer was a pulpit. It ended up being a platform. And the seating got a little closer. And there were other people allowed into the situation. You know, a worship leader or, um, you know, other people that got involved. And that's really where I grew up. That was most of my life. The passivity uh, number for this group now shrunk to 90%. So again, only 10% of the people in the church at this time were actually ever engaged in any kind of ministry, ever did anything. Everybody else were spectators. That was the way the system was. And if you actually tried to do anything you'd be in serious trouble. And so, over the years, in fact, probably 30 years ago, this started in our country, we started our church during this next phase, which was almost 20 years ago, and here's what happened. The stage got bigger, and the people got closer, and this is what you would call the worship stage or the alternative worship stage is what people are talking about right now. It's very much what we have done as a church for almost 20 years. It's been happening in our country for about 30 years. A lot more participation, a lot more engagement on weekend services, a lot more singing, a lot more, uh, you know, great things happening and, and, and good things. But... <clears throat> The passivity number now is 80%. Not stellar. In fact, it's really been problematic because here's what's happened. We've, <clears throat> we've created um, consumer Christianity. So, some of you, if you were going to be really honest, would say... That's been me. So people choose a church because of how good the teaching is. You don't have to worry about that here. (laughs) How good the music is. How good the, the kids' ministry is. Or what the building's like. Or any number of things. And so instead of being missional, instead of this being a movement, we judge everything by what we get. The problem is that the people are laying on the ground dying. And we're doing this. 4% of people in our nation are Christ followers. And we can't keep up with population growth. And we think it's the way to go. And it's somebody should see something, but we're not, and nothing's changing. And so something has to happen. You know, church growth in our country has, has been flatlined. We, we don't hear about that, but you'll see some churches that really expand and grow big and others that kind of go down. But the growth primarily in our country is all transfer growth based on how people like certain things. You've got the right stuff, you get a bigger crowd. Uh, you don't, you lose. And, and so it becomes, uh, then, then churches become competitive and, and you've got all this consumer stuff going on and, and you basically uh, are doing your church thing and people are on the floor dying and we don't even see them. It's somebody else's problem. So in the book of Ephesians, and I told you this uh, last week, the book of Ephesians um, is the um, constitution of the church. And it's the place where we learn what the church is supposed to be and how we're supposed to act and what, what we're made of and what needs to happen. So I want to get back into Ephesians, you know, just real quick. I'm not going to take too much time on this because we've been talking about it. Ephesians 1, it, we learn that... The earth, our, our world, our culture, the, the place where you live, is filled with Jesus. It says, and the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ, 
who fills all things everywhere with himself. And I'm going to digress for just a moment Today, if you're going through something really deep and dark and you don't even care about all this stuff because you're so racked with pain, I want you to know something. Jesus is in the middle of your situation. He is right there. He fills all things with, with himself. And you will not be destroyed if you turn to him. As far down as you feel like you are, there is tremendous hope for you. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, we, we read that Jesus has created us as a masterpiece. He has specifically designed you and me as masterpieces. He has planned this before we were ever born. He's planned it for a long time. He's got a mission for our lives. Last week I talked about Ephesians chapter 3, that we're supposed to be rooted and grounded in love. That's where it starts. There's an agenda here of love that we need. So today I want to read something in Ephesians 4. And this is going to sound rather, and look, probably rather academic. But I want you to understand, I'm going somewhere with this. Um, Verse 11. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and some of your version may say shepherds. And teachers, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So here's what we need to do today. Uh, and, and from now on, there's some things that need to change in our thinking, change in our, in our lives, change in the way that we feel about the church. These are a couple of shifts that are absolutely essential. Number one, we need to make the shift from more hierarchy to more missionaries. We need to make the shift from more hierarchy to more missionaries. I'm hearing angelic music playing. <laughs> It's beautiful. It's a huge shift in this way. We need to understand who the ministers are in the church, and we need to understand who the leaders are. So, I'm going to use a little organizational diagram here. It looks like an umbrella. Uh, Let's just say that this is the New Testament church. Actually, we could say this is Destiny Church if you want to. This would be what I would call an organizational firewall. This is is where the organization gets separated. The way we are uh, set up in leadership, we have a a, a lead pastor, um, questionable character. um, And our, our chart... You know, it kind of goes this way. We've got a couple overseers over here. These are my bosses. These are pastors of other churches that if I get, need to get my bell rung, that's, they want to do that. They're excited about that. Um, we have what I call our leadership team. These are our uh, staff, our pastors here who, um, who minister in so many ways and, and are such a blessing and what an incredible group of people. Um, then further down the chain here, we've got board members who oversee the fiduciary responsibility of our church, and that's our team. And then over here, this is you guys. Now, the way things have always been done, these are the leaders, and you're the recipients. These are the ministers and you're the recipients of ministry. That's the model. You've, you, you, if you've been in church any time, you know that's the model. <laughs> I, I don't know, it was about 15 years ago. I was starting to get some revelation of the change. And I, I had this guy, he was coming to our church. Guy was like filthy loaded. He was uh, one of the original uh, investors in AOL. And uh, he literally had two airplanes. And he didn't even have a pilot's license. He didn't know how to fly, but he just rolled him in and out of the, what do you call the dugout or whatever the thing, hangar, yeah, whatever it is. And just, he'd polish them and clean it and then push it back because he couldn't, couldn't fly them. But he owned them. 
And, and I was just trying to teach him about, man, giving your life, and at the time, and some of your money, uh, to the kingdom. And I said, I'll call him Bill, because I don't remember his name. It may be Bill. I said, Bill, um, God wants you to be in the ministry. And the guy almost passed out. Because he had come from one of those uh, pulpit places. And he got mad at me. He said, I am not supposed to be a minister. I am not. I'm like, no, no, no. And I, I lost the guy. Lost the money. Lost the planes. I, you know, I, all the vision I had for myself went away at that moment. Here's the reality. Let me tell you who the leaders of the church are for real. The people over here who decide that God wants to use them as masterpiece missions. Those are the leaders of the church. What God does in and through them should dictate what happens over here. This group is designed to serve this group. And that's, um, that's kind of unimaginable where we come from. This is not, you're not going to hear this from a lot of churches. Because that really messes with some other issues over here, doesn't it? And we've all seen and experienced and, and watched this happen. But this is the North American model this is the New Testament church in operation. It's, it's, it's something that's totally different. Now, Ephesians 4, you've got this in your notes. I'd like you to pull these out, and hopefully I can get through this and make it work. You see that we've been given five gifts in the church. And I want to be very careful and say... These are not your pastors or your leadership team. These are gifts that are spread throughout the body of Christ. So this isn't, you know, some of us in an elite group choosing who does what. It's, these are gifts given to the entire church. And they call this, I just learned about this not too long ago. This is what they call the apest uh, picture uh, S is for shepherd, which actually is another word for pastor. When I first saw this, I thought, you know, you need to call an exterminator if you have this problem. But that's not what this is. So, you have apostles. Uh, L-E-S. Apostles are the people who actually expand and extend the kingdom. They're the ones who come up with the incredible ideas or the sometimes crazy ideas. They're the ones that, that ignite people. And they're entrepreneurial in, in every way, shape, or form. You know people like that. You know people who they just sit around and they think of stuff that no one should ever think of. And yet they change the world with these kind of thoughts. That, that would be the picture of the apostle. Then you have the prophets. The prophets and the apostles struggle to get along sometimes because the prophets are the ones who will ask the, uh, that's a R, the ones who will ask the tough questions like, how are you going to pay for it? Um, you said the vision was this. Now, this idea doesn't yet seem to me like it's that. You know, they're the ones that ask the really tough questions, but they also are the ones who help keep you on mission. Then you have... The evangelist. These are the recruiters. These are the people who, you've heard all their stories. They get on an airplane and lead seven people to Jesus before they get to Albuquerque. It's a, it, just, it just comes out of them. You know, and they're always telling people about Jesus. And, and so these are your recruiters. Then you have the shepherd. And for the rest of today, I'm going to just refer to these as the pastor. And this gift is the person who cares. They're the shepherd. They're going to make sure that, I mean, they're, 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 they're soft. They're not soft, like soft. They're, they're soft-hearted. They're kind-hearted. They, they, they're going to be there when, when nobody else is. They're just, you know these people. And, and they're just, and, and they, they, they really know how to love and care. And then finally, you have the teachers. And the teachers 
are the people who explain things, who make sure that there are systems that work. And, and they, they also uh, really deal with the values that, that, a, that a church should have. And, and so all of these are gifts that the Lord gave to the church. Now, here's what happened in history, and it still pervades the church today. And, and, and I'm not being egregious toward anybody or any other church, because honestly, um, most of this stuff I've taught, most of it I've been part of, most of it I purported but wasn't really sure that I bought into it. And after the last three years, I think I've got it kind of figured out. This is typically a leadership model of the church today. You have the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the shepherd, pastor, and the teacher. And the further down you go, the less significance is given to these roles in in the North American church. This is a great picture of North American church. And where we typically draw the line and say, this is real church right here, is we have a leadership model that shows the teacher-pastor as being the king, the pope, the papal figure, the guy who has all the stuff, right? Uh, This is the person who on Sundays is up here doing all the stuff and leading and being in charge. And these people are relegated to other roles, other places, and we miss the gifts. The evangelist kind of person, that's always been pushed to a parachurch model. The the, uh, prophet was always considered a, uh, you know, an Old Testament figure. The apostle, a lot of people believe that the apostles are no more, that there's no more apostolic gift. It's, 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 it's all done away with, and something happened somewhere, and we don't know what happened, but Paul was wrong. And, and so, you know, he, he can be wrong sometimes, you know, I guess. Um, I ran into this one time when I was working with a pastor, and he was one of these guys. And... I'm kind of this guy. I'm the entrepreneur. I'm thinking outside the box. And I've got a dose of this, the evangelist. Because I love leading people to Jesus. And I love doing it in crazy ways. I want to create arenas for Christ followers to be. And the pastor was wise enough to recognize that I had these gifts going on. And he, he came to me and he said, Greg... We need to put these things together. He goes, I can do some of this. He goes, but you bring this. Let's make it work. And I I was so excited. I'm like, yes. And then I started thinking about what would need to change. And when I finally got it figured out, I shared it with him. And he's like, there's no way we could do that. There's no way we could make that kind of change. We can't share leadership. We can't turn the church upside down. No, of course we wouldn't want to do that. You know, we're killing it at 4%. Um, people are laying on the floor dying, but why would we change? And, 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 and that sounds, I don't know, a little flippant, maybe. Um, especially when I was part of much of this for most of my life. Here, let me show you what the New Testament looks like. This this is an organization. This is a movement here. This is how the New Testament church was structured. You would always see people with their entrepreneurial edge going out and making changes. In Rome, when the people were not wanting to give birth to baby girls, there were people who said, hey, let's go out and get these children and let's keep them and raise them and, and, and love on them and care for them. When people were dying of the Black Plague, there were people that said, hey, let's go out and let's 
take care of the Romans who are dying so that we can just love on them. And so you, everything in the New Testament, did you see any great initiative, any church that was planted, anything that happened had this model in it where people were entrepreneurial. You had the prophets who were saying, yes, we need to do this, but let's stay on mission. You had the evangelists who were winning people to Christ, and you've had the shepherds and the teachers making sure that the flock was being taken care of. And so it's an amazing model that... was built into the church DNA with Jesus a long time ago. You guys know more than I do. There's some of you who are in the medical field. You know, our bodies are made up of multiple systems. I, you know, I, there's cardiovascular system. There's the, I call it the neurotic system. That doesn't, doesn't sound right, does it? It's neurosystem. There's... Um, the muscular system, the skeletal system. You know, we have all these systems. That's what this is for the church. They're systems. They're, they're, they're things that make us all work. If I have a system in my body that goes down, that's not a good thing. If, 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 um, if, if you have a cardiovascular problem and it shuts down, that's a really bad day. If you have... Uh, two systems go down, that's a horrible day. In three systems, you're probably dead. Our church, in general, and perhaps even here, has typically been working with only a couple systems. We're on life support in the church in America. And if we don't see the dying people, we'll be guilty of missing the church as Jesus had determined and designed it. I was um, so blessed to be invited to a um, a cohort in Tampa uh, just a couple months ago. Um, It was held by Exponential, and they they just invited me to come and sit in for a week with uh, this thing that they were doing where they were teaching um, about how to invade culture with the church. But what was really interesting was they had this at um, a church called Tampa Underground. And you need to go online and and look it up. Not while I'm speaking, but at some point, go look this up. Um, They actually have two or 3,000 people in their church. They They don't know how many they have, actually. But they never see them, uh, or rarely see them. So, so what happened, and they started this way, it's only, the church is only, I think, a decade old or something like that. And so what they've done is they followed that model where instead of leading, they would serve people who wanted to go start churches in different arenas. So here's what, here's, here, here's what they've done. They have now 200 churches. They call them micro-churches in Tampa. And what I'd like you to do, if you go look at Tampa Underground, go to their ministries. It's just page after page of these micro churches that have started. One guy uh, who, got, who accepted Christ was a guy who spent a lot of time in a bar. And he, um, you know, when he gave his life to the Lord, uh, he was told, hey, you, need to, you need, to, need to quit going to the bar. And the guy said, well, all my friends are there. And they said, oh, okay, well then why don't you start a church in the bar? Literally, he did that. He went in and he talked to the proprietor and they didn't want him to leave because he bought so much beer, you know, they, they, you know, they didn't want to lose a customer. And he said, hey, can I just sit in a corner and, and talk to people about the Bible? And so he did, and, and a bunch of people in the bar accepted Christ. The, the ministry now has a name called Bible in the Bar, and He's now doing this in 20 bars across Tampa. And it's, it's like totally amazing. Now, you, you hope that... I'm not going to go into what you hope for, but I'm just saying. Um, here's one you won't find on their, their website. They have um, some strippers who came to Christ. And they decided, let's reach out to these other strippers. And so they started a church in a strip club. 
And they weren't looking for new members. They literally were trying to save these women. They're now in six strip clubs. And most of it involves sex slavery. And they're, they've built houses and places of rescue for these people to get out of this culture. And they've been attacked and beaten. And it's crazy. They've got six of these churches and strip clubs in Tampa. Um, there's one uh, uh, church that's called Grounded. And it's a church that started for foster care families. It was all about foster care. They have another one, a a church called Project Not For Sale, totally dedicated to sex slavery throughout Tampa. And and the list goes on and on. I met a guy who uh, was was a homeless guy, accepted Christ, and he he just loved bicycles. And, And so he started repairing bicycles and giving them away. Now he has a shop in a mall, and he sells bikes, and he uses all the proceeds to buy used bikes and fix them up, and he gives them to all the homeless people in Tampa. It's just one thing after another after another. They have 200 of these churches now, and thousands of people involved, and people at every level of spiritual maturity. They started another Tampa underground in Clearwater, so they call it Clearwater Underground, Ybor City Underground, and 11 other cities in our nation. It's incredible, the the things that that God is doing. Um, I'm going to talk with somebody right now, Cynthia Clark. Cynthia, would you come up here? Do you have a microphone? Did they give you a microphone? Oh, we've got one right here for you. Um, Cynthia and Jeff, uh, some of our favorite people in the world, have, um, they've started a, a, a mission. It's crazy. It's the craziest thing. And I, I just couldn't wait to tell you about it. You guys built a barn. And it wasn't for animals. Because you've had animals. Oh, is this where? Yeah, we used to have llamas. We used to have goats. We had a horse. And I had a little shed for them. Now that all the animals are gone, we, I finally get my barn. So, yeah. yeah and there's so, Kevin Murray in the house. That's yeah, Kevin. Yeah, Kevin helping. Murray and Jeff, they're building the barn. Let's go to the next picture. Uh, here's Jeff putting uh, the stain oh. on the outside. Uh, it's, it's almost finished. Uh, the next one, this is cool. Isn't that nice? That looks like a Christmas card. But the next one is even better. Oh, isn't that cool? So, now, now you're real happy about them having a barn. <laughs> So why? So, um, Cynthia, tell us a little bit about uh, yours and Jeff's background as, as far as like your involvement at county and the All things right. that you're doing. All right. We, um, well, Jeff and I, we've been going to this church for a long time. We, we moved out here in Western Loudoun in the year 2000 and both churched people. And, but we never, we've always felt that the church was not meant to be our social group. And, um, I mean, we come here, I love coming here, love y'all, love, love everybody, but... But not that much. But <laughs> we've just always felt like you come to church to, to get filled and then, then to go out. And we have a real strong connection with our community. Community meaning, I mean, it goes, it goes far. And first off, I'm very humbled that I'm the one up here because when that's, this was up here, we're just one of many little circles on the left side. Um, but we do... Um, a lot of stuff, when you're younger, when your kids are younger, you know, it started out as coaching. I know mm-hmm. many of you, that's where you get your relationships in the community. I and mean, we've coached, you know, baseball, basketball, soccer, volleyball. Um, you know, our kids, though, are 28 now. We're still coaching. We both coach Special Olympics now. Um, and I'm on the board for Special Olympics. So that's been a community that we've worked with. Um, basketball, however, has led to much more. Um, one of the communities, and we consider them our little communities, and we love intermixing communities. So many of you have been to our house with the most eclectic group of people. Um, one community is three mornings a week. Jeff goes up to Valley and opens the doors for about, he has an email list of probably 50 guys that play basketball three mornings a week um, before school. And that's he's, just... He's never invited me to that. <laughs> some of you, I know some people here have been. Um, that's true. Well, you, you can come. You can come next time. But uh, three mornings a week. And, and I'll tell you what gets me about my husband is he, most of you know he's, his back and the way he walks and everything. He still gets up and down the court some. But through surgeries, there's times where he's not playing, but he's, he goes, he gets up there, he leaves the house at 530, and he's up there at Valley because they even gave him a key and everything. And he, 
he uh, opens there, and he's sort of the, the pastor, you know, of this group of guys, which has turned into, I mean, these guys have volunteered at, they, they're like a family now, you know, because they've met for so long. We've had them at events where we've done the food bags. We've had them at events where we used to set up at the manor house. So it's just a, a group of guys that we can now lead into. We, we also do the... Um, the scoreboard and all at the high school three nights a week during the winter. And we don't do that for the money. I don't even know what we get paid if it goes down every year. But because of that, we've got relationships with a lot of people. So that's even just one through sports. We, um, we do, I don't know if Kevin is, now a cornhole uh, league that's at B Cord Brewery. Um, Jeff started doing. Wow. And we knew one person that did it. And you know now there's like 40. And I don't know, is Bjorn and Brody here? They came, we do, well, Bjorn, you, you came, and I, we do an NCAA pool every year. It started out as when our kids were in middle school. I mean, we've had this, people show up at our house to fill out these brackets. Well, this year, because it was on cornhole night, we took it to the brewery, and we did it and told people to meet us there. And um, as Bjorn would probably know, it, it's, a different cr- it's a different crowd there. And they would probably say, I'm different. So it's great. He walked in, and the first thing I said was, this is ministry, you know, and um, it was just neat. All, people that I normally would not hang out with, now we've gotten to Yeah, Bjorn to has be a special brewery ministry. You know, <laughs> he knows what. Well, believe me, we filled out the brackets and we left the Destiny pens on the bar. Oh, great. You know, we had there Destiny we pens all yeah. over there. But the main thing is, you know, those people now, they know us, we know them. And so, um, so tell us what you're doing in the barn now. Well, we have, well, a lot of times we're just having meetings in the barn with different groups of people. Um, we do a, a lot with high school kids, and Jeff is the um, character coach for the football team. So we're constantly inviting kids over. And, you know, it can be anything. I, I know not everyone here can have a barn. It used to be our kitchen table, which is made out of a basketball court, you know, with the wood from a basketball court. We love basketball so much. It could be, it used to be our fire pit. Um, this morning, where's Charlotte? She ran into me and she said, just, she said, just this weekend I was thinking about your fire pit, because we a lot of times invite just different people. And Charlotte, when you were first new, and I thought, oh, man, this is a crazy one. I want to get to know her. So we invite, you know, a bunch of different people. And usually it's, you know, maybe one or two from church, one or two that we've just met in the neighborhood, one or two from, I mean, we, we have a lot of different groups that we go from. So it's neat. We've had, um, when you see out there in that fire pit, I mean, this, Pat, right probably before it got um, too cold, I mean, we had people... Um, same-sex marriage um, at our fire pit with people of very different political social, social views than mine, different, different faiths. And, but it all works because it's a barn. It's sort of people let their guards down and they know you're just creating relationships. And we're not you know, judging. We're not, and we're not, on that first time we meet you, we're not saying, okay, you've got to come to church with us. The neatest thing last fall someone that we've probably been meeting with for 10 years, just on and off casually. We were sitting down in the barn at a, at a table, and she goes, tell me about your church, because it's got to be weird. You know? And she said that because she knows Jeff and I aren't churchy, churchy type. You know, what, what she Wait, thought of was churchy did, type. How did you answer that? Well, I said. <laughs> yeah, you should yeah, meet should the pastor, right? No, but it was neat, because she knew like that morning we might have been doing something that was here up the church or, or here with the group, and it just wasn't the type of things that, that they thought churches get so, involved in. So last week, I talked to you about compassion and community, or communion and community. This is com- communion and community right here. This is a living example. Uh, you guys paid for the barn yourself. You, you did this. It wasn't like a, you know, let's go raise a bunch of money. Um, you've made a real investment in people's lives. And, folks, this is church. This is it. Thank you. Oh, man. Thanks. Thanks. This is awesome. Thanks. Here, I'll take that. Jesus showed us that the good news, the gospel, brings hope to the poor, the captives, the blind, the oppressed. He just takes us to people, people who need us, people who are falling on the floor, dying. And we don't know the stories. We don't know where we would fit in. We just know that we can't keep doing what we've been doing and expect something else to change for good. So I have some questions. These are not in your notes, and 
you might want to take your pen and write these down real quick. These are a couple things that I would think you might want to ask yourself. What is the place of greatest pain in your life? Because it's probably out of your pain that some of this would come about. I love what Cynthia said. You don't have to go build a barn. In fact, if you live in Leesburg and do that, you'll get in trouble. But there is a barn in your life somewhere. There is something you need to build. What bothers you? What disturbs you? What excites you? How are things supposed to be? What's the main problem with things the way they are? What's the solution and how can it be realized? Some time ago I talked about seven mountains of culture and how the church isn't supposed to be a silo, but we're supposed to be in all, all of the mountains. And I was thinking about this. I was thinking about the gospel and, and, and its invasion into these areas of, of culture. I think about the gospel in business because it's part of what I do. It's, it's my life. And, and we need to begin to see entrepreneurs who realize that you're not your own. You've been bought with a price. And how could the gospel shape your business for the future? What could possibly change that would take you out of the spectator role and into culture? There's so many. I know there have been a lot of faith and work movements and groups and everything. And I think those have been good. But I think that for the most part, they miss something most essential. And that is mission. It's not enough to just run a business on biblical standards or, or be good to your employees. Why is God giving you this? And whose money is it? And where is it going? And, and um, I, it's really interesting. I'm, I'm going to be, I just got invited to speak at Asbury Seminary um, on the whole idea of faith, work, and missions, and economics. And I'm going to be a lab rat for, for them. And um, because they, they, one of them heard me speak at Exponential a month or so ago, and and the, the professor from Asbury comes up and he, he said, you're an anomaly. You're, you're not like other people. And I, <laughs> I've heard that before. And, um, but he said, we're seeing more and more of this happen and we need to understand it. So they've asked me to come and just talk to their students about what this is like. What do you do if, if, it's, if it's not just a business, but if it's something that's designed totally and specifically for God's kingdom? It's okay. It's great to make money. You don't want to have a business and not make money. That's not a good thing. But why? What's that all about? Education. Many of you are teachers. Perhaps the greatest impact on culture today are made by you as teachers. And how do you, how do you handle that? How do you steward that? What are you doing that makes you different than others? It could be um, arts or media or government. And, and I'll, I'll say this, that if we need to figure this out as a church, maybe we have a monthly intensive where we come together and we just start having discussions about what this looks like, what it could be. And if you're interested in that, let me know because I'd be happy to serve in that role and I know others would. Uh, I don't have all the answers, but we'll find people who have some. And, and, and you know, just brainiac on things that need to be done for the kingdom so that we can shift ministry to where it needs to be. I wouldn't be happy at 20% uh, success rate or 80% passivity. I'd want everybody in. We're not going to be Tampa underground. We're not, we're going to be the church that we hope to be the church that Jesus wants us to be. I want to close with this, um, this thought. When I was in Tampa, um, a good friend of mine connected me with Brian Sanders, the pastor of Tampa Underground. And I got to spend an hour with him uh, just asking him questions. It was, it was amazing. And um, so he began to talk, and, and then he got to the reason why he started this church. And it wasn't what I expected. It wasn't like a vision in the night. He said, I I started this church because of my daughter. He has four children. And he has a daughter. She's 
now 26 years old. And she became addicted to opioids. And he said, we have lived life in hell. And he goes, we've done everything we can to reach her. We don't know what to say. There's, we, anything we say is rejected. Anything we try to do, it's been turned down. He goes, just recently, he said, she went back into rehab. And he said, um, we found her laying in a pool of blood. She had slit her wrist. And there was blood everywhere. And the emergency people got there in time to wrap up her wrist and stop the bleeding and they hauled her out. And he said, when they drug her away from the site, she had scrawled in the blood, help me. And he goes... The reason I started the church is because I want people who will go to the darkest corners of life and rescue the dying. And he said, maybe someone can do that for my daughter. I'll never forget that moment. Never forget that conversation. And I I share that because some of you live in that world. I share it because if you don't live in that world, you know someone who is. And we cannot be the way we've always been and think this is somebody else's job. Um, Why don't we pray? Father, uh, we love you. You've been so good to us. You've been so very good to us. We're so blessed. Lord, today many of us, we had something good to eat. We've been loved by our family. We've come to church in our cars we've walked in we'll walk out and everything is okay pretty good sometimes we hit some rough patches sometimes our hearts are broken but you keep bringing us through so God what what needs to change what needs to happen in our hearts I pray as we go on this journey, Lord, I don't care how it grows, how we succeed at doing church. I I, I just don't care. I care about doing what you called us to do. I care about people who have fallen and nobody sees them. I care about doing what you've called us to do. And I pray that you would just fill us with that determination, that fire. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.